Welcome to Off the Record. I'm your host, Marika Day, dietitian, nutritionist, recovering perfectionist, and founder of Fueled by Marika Day. Join me here each week as we delve into what it really means to be a healthy and happy human. You'll hear from conversations with experts in their fields to raw and real chats about aspects of health and life that we really don't hear enough about. You'll be left feeling inspired, educated, and empowered to be the best version of you. So sit back, relax, or head on out for your walk, and let's dive on in. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the potty. This week, we have a really cool guest on the podcast, and she is actually one of you guys. She is a community member. She is a follower on Instagram and reached out to me via social media to tell me a little bit about her story. And I thought, you know what? We need you on the podcast to share this further and wider because it is one of the topics that I think flies under the radar and it is something that I really think is more common than what is spoken about. So what the lovely Lauren is going to chat to us today about is the dark side of eight-week challenges or when eight-week challenges go wrong. You know, we've all done little gym challenges or even little things that we've set ourselves up in terms of, you know, the next four weeks, I'm going to be a little bit healthier or I'm going to do this. And we obviously don't intend for these things to, you know, turn badly, but Sometimes they can, and sometimes they can just spiral out of control more quickly than we can get a grip on. And when Lauren told me a bit about her story, I just thought we need to speak about this because we need to be aware that this is happening and that it can happen. And what can we do about it to make sure that we know that it can happen and we can recognize it if it is happening in ourselves, in someone you know close to us, or if we are a trainer or a health professional in our clients um, that we're working with. So I'm really looking forward to sharing Lauren's story today. Well done, Lauren, for being so brave to come on and share your story. One quick thing before we begin is that we will be discussing eating disorders in this episode. So if you feel that you are triggered at any point, please feel free to leave this space. You are more than welcome to. Um, and you do not need to listen to this episode. We also mention calories and weight. So please, if that does not feel good for you, please tune out. Come back next week. All right, let's do it. Hi, Lauren, and welcome to Off the Record. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Thank you, Marika. I'm so glad to be here and I can't wait to share my story and hopefully give an insight to everyone and especially people who relate to my story um, about how they can overcome um, challenges in their life. Yeah, I think your story is such a powerful one. And the way we connected, I think, was um, like pretty incredible. Like when I got your message just recently on Instagram, um, I noticed that you actually messaged me about well, it would have been like 18 months prior. So it's, um, mm. I guess it's weird how everything works out and the timing, everything. But I think your story, when you told me a little bit about it, was something that I think is going to resonate with a lot of people because what I think we see with like eight-week challenges is that we really are only showing like the upsides and the positives and, you know, all of these like great transformations that happen and how people get healthier and they look better and, you know, all of these things, yet nobody talks about like after the after photo. And I think that's where your story, as sad as it is and what you've had to go through, 
I think it's such an important story to tell. So that's why I've brought you on here today. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you. Um, and I think you only see the positive side when you don't actually um, know much about the challenge and you've never done one before. And I think that that is uh, almost, I guess, a marketing factor that gets people into the challenges and wants to make them, uh, wants, and people want to do them. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. So let's go into a bit about your story. So let's start, you know, maybe just before you started this eight week challenge, we're not going to talk about, you know, what challenge it is or anything, but just more so an eight week gym challenge. Um, and yeah, let's go through, you know, what did that look like for you, that challenge and how were you before and after? Yeah. So I started the challenge about 18 months ago um, and it was for just eight weeks. Um, and when you sign up, you um, have to do a scan before. So they'll tell you how much body fat you have in your body um, and depending on your goal. So the majority of people, their goal is to lose fat. You can also gain muscle um, if that's what you um, want to do. Um, but for my case, it was to lose fat. Um, so you start the challenge and in the first week they would give you, um, like a meal plan. So you stick and you eat the same thing, um, every day on this meal plan. And it's obviously personalized based on, um, macros. So how much fat, carbs and protein you're eating. And it's mainly a a high protein, a moderate carb diet and a low fat diet. So, um, I was eating about, 130 grams of protein a day um and in that first week I was eating um two lots of chicken a day um a wrap lots of greens um so yeah so I would eat the same thing every day and then after that first week they would then give us um our own personalized mac uh, macro so again that's the protein fats and carbs um and then we would eat to that and we could eat whatever we wanted depending on, um, I guess, the nutritional um, the nutritional panel on all the foods. So um, it, it that first week was really tough, I think, because it's not we, – we aren't able to um, eat anything according to our cravings and we're obviously eating the same thing every day so I was eating chicken twice a day and oh honestly by that first week it Never was just chicken. I just no I just could not eat chicken after that so I literally had a probably about two or three weeks off chicken and like they often recommend chicken breast because it's high protein really really low in fat um so to get as much protein as you can, you need to eat really, really high protein foods like throughout the whole day. Um, so yeah, and then throughout the rest of the eight week challenge, so for the last seven weeks, you just are given macros um, every weekend, and then you stick you stick by those uh, for the whole week. Um, and also on the weekends, they would measure our weight, our um, arm circumference also um the hip your hips your waist and um your leg so you're given a piece of paper basically that says um what these measurements are for you and um you also have to fill up this paper that says um if you stuck to your macros every single day and also how many uh, workouts that you did in a day and your um average um step 
intake for the whole week. So you kind of had to wear like a, a certain, some sort of watch um, to be able to tell that. Um, so yeah, then after the eight weeks, you have like this party and then um, they you do kind of have a little bit of a meeting at the end as to what they suggest to keep going and trying to keep off the weight. Um, Obviously, before I started the challenge, there was always this lingering feeling in my mind of, am I actually going to be able to keep this weight off? Because it was quite extreme for me, especially. Yeah, so you Um, lost quite a bit of weight on the actual challenge, didn't you? Yeah, 100%. So I lost almost a third of my um, body fat, which was quite significant for me. um, And that definitely tied into a lot of body image issues, body dysmorphia. Um, I remember touching like a part of my body and I was just like, that's not my body. Like wow. I, it, I just couldn't. Yeah. It was, it was just wild. Like I, I couldn't even recognize myself. So it wasn't even just looking at my body. It was how my body felt. And yeah. So just the changes within that certain period of time was, um, was extremely hard and it's definitely tied into the culture that you don't really speak about a lot of these things it's always a really kind of positive environment um, like toxic yeah so that was almost almost yeah 100 yeah, um so you kind of just only thought oh it's only just me feeling this way like it's fine everyone else is doing really great so that kind of you know perpetuates you to keep continue um, yeah. the challenge so, and did people yeah. like comment on your progress or anything like that and how did that make you feel yeah, a hundred percent. Obviously, you're on this weight loss high, so when people are commenting on your body, you feel fantastic, and um, like it, it, it does motivate you to want to continue a hundred percent. But yeah, in the back of my mind, there was always this feeling of, oh, I know that I'm not always going to um, look this way. Um, so, and honestly those comments, they even still affect me now because it's like, um, I guess when people start to not comment on your body, it's like, oh, I must be bigger. I must look different. I must look worse. And um, so, yeah, I have really learned a lot from um, commenting on people's bodies. And it's definitely something that I will never, ever do from now on um, as a result of that experience. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's such a good example of how like it might be well intended what people are saying, but essentially what it's doing is it's driving this like weight stigma and this like body image that, you know, you are more worthy, you are more beautiful, you are more loved mm-hmm. if you're in a smaller body. So even though, yes, some people might do it in the guise of, oh, well done, you're working hard, but they're saying you look good. That's not the same as saying you're working hard. And mm. even if it is you're working hard, is that actually working hard towards something worth working <laughs> hard towards? Like, are yeah, we feeling good exactly. at this time? So during the actual challenge, what was your mental health like during that eight weeks? And, you know, were you feeling happy because you were getting all these compliments or was there sort of like this, you know, undertone of not feeling quite sure? Like what was the mental sort of state during the eight weeks? Um. <sighs> To be honest, it was a lot of ups and downs. Um, One specific memory that I have is speaking to a friend and just saying to them, I actually feel really just terrible about myself at the moment. And this was supposed to be like such a positive um, experience for me. And it just really was not that. 
Um, another thing was I remember visiting a few friends and even just like when they would say a joke or something, I just couldn't even laugh. Like it was just, I had no energy to even be social with my friends. Um, and cause I was always so consumed about food and how much to eat and when my next meal was, um, it definitely took away from my social life at the time. Yeah. So, Yeah. And was that taking away from your social life? Was that just for those eight weeks? Because I think a lot of people sort of think, oh, well, like, I'll just do it for the eight weeks. Or like what lingering impact did that have then, I guess, on your ability to socialise and eat for social occasions after the eight weeks? Um, I can see looking back that maybe it did affect some of my relationships at the time during that eight weeks, um, especially and afterwards, because you want to kind of keep up that progress. Um, it definitely did dawn on me that it was affecting my energy I was tired all the time and again I just didn't really even want to meet up with some people at times because I just had no energy to give to them and it didn't feel right like how am I supposed to talk to people and engage and laugh with them if I don't even feel like good about myself um and because I was just so low energy yeah so that was definitely a really big contributor to the social life um of myself and it was definitely something I did not see uh, when you first sign up, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so then like you finished the challenge, you obviously were like successful sort of in quotes mm. with, with regards to the challenge. Um, mm. What happened then after the challenge in the months and sort of weeks afterwards? So I think I finished the challenge on about 1,450 calories. Um, so after that, um, I continued doing the same thing. So I was still eating about that same amount and I guess going down um, every few weeks or so because that was what they suggested. Um, and sometimes I would go up to maintenance depending on the week. Like if I had a lot of social events, I would just go up to maintenance. But I was definitely still calorie counting. If it wasn't specifically the amount of protein, fats and carbs, it was definitely just calories in general. Um, yeah, and I did probably lose a little bit more weight after um, the challenge. I did definitely get to the point where I was like, this is just not feasible. It's just consuming every single part of my life. Um, and I definitely did have to stop myself probably about, I think a year ago it would have been. Um, there was one day I just instantly stopped calorie counting um, and then I looked for help because I knew that that was something that I needed because I was definitely going down a path that I definitely did not want to go down. So, yeah. And so what was that path that you felt like that you were going down? Um, I was getting a lot of disordered eating thoughts. So a lot of when I was eating a meal that I guess was out of um, the amount of calories I was supposed to eat in a day, I was getting a lot of guilty thoughts. Even just going out with friends um, to a restaurant, I would eat a, a meal um, and then I'd feel so guilty about it. And that would carry on for like days afterwards. And you'd, you'd get in the mindset of, oh, because I ate of my calories yesterday, I have to eat less today. Um, and that even carries out like throughout the week. I remember one day I went out um, for lunch with my family we just got takeaway from down the road and we brought it back to my house and it was just Chinese food and I had eaten that for lunch and then probably about 20 minutes after that I just hid in my room and I was just so upset that I had eaten this food that I had no idea what was actually in it 
Um, and so I had this huge fear, oh, I'm just going to put on all the weight that I had on before. So yeah, it's definitely incredibly difficult to um, deal with a lot of those thoughts um, on your day-to-day life. Yeah. Mm. And did you have any of those like thoughts before the challenge or like what was your self-esteem or relationship with food and your body like before you began the challenge? Um, to be honest, I probably, I ate oh, at least double in my day-to-day life um, compared to like what I was on the challenge. Um, and I just had absolutely no food guilt. I was had such a positive outlook on life at all times. Um, had really great friendships. I still do, but um, yeah, had really great fr- friendships. Um, I was very social and I just would eat anything and everything whenever I wanted. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, that really big change of going straight into that dieting when I was like cutting down my calories from up to about half of what I usually would eat was such a big shock to my body. Um, and I was constantly fatigued and um, tired. So, um, yeah, and I do think a lot now, oh, I wish I was just like how I was before, absolutely no food guilt and I could just eat, yeah, whatever I want really. Mm. So even 18 months later, are you still finding like that the food guilt's there or I know that you've done some work with a psychologist, um, has that, Mm. you know, made a difference or can you tell us about the journey, I guess, to, um, I guess, overcoming some of these like thought challenges? Yeah. So my psychologist has been an absolute savior, um, for me, unfortunately, um, I didn't get diagnosed with an eating disorder. However, I was, um, told that if I had one more symptom or if I had a lower BMI, um, Which, I would have been mind diagnosed. you, is a, a conversation in itself. Like BMI is not yeah, an indicator of – yeah. So yeah, my yeah. professional <laughs> opinion is that it was actually probably a diagnosable eating disorder. Mm, um, yeah. But, yeah, sorry, carry on. That's okay. Um, and I do definitely think back, like I honestly have no idea how I could have gotten much worse. And I just it, – it did really dawn on me that – people were worse than what I was. Um, And I did have a lot of thoughts about, I I felt like I was slipping through the system, even though I was working with a psychologist and a dietitian at the time. It was really hard um, because they didn't work together. I had to constantly, I guess, catch each of them up about what what I was doing with um, the other, like both of them. Um, And that would take up almost half my sessions sometimes. So Um, yeah that was incredibly difficult Um, so yeah but my psychologist has really been a savior Um, I've been in therapy for about two years I would say Um, so this is before the challenge I did have a few um, mental health um, issues um, just to do with like trauma related Mm. um, which I know it's quite common for um, people with eating disorders or disordered eating to have um, yeah trauma in their earlier life yeah 100 percent, yeah and I do definitely know now that it is connected it's almost like a switch that goes off and it's just like yeah you now have an eating disorder or you now have disordered eating and I I, yeah I definitely do think that they're um they're linked so it, it did it did definitely help me going to a psychologist I think a lot a lot of it was I already knew about myself 
quite a fair bit, but going to a psychologist and they're able to decode a lot of your thoughts and this is why you're thinking that way. So that was incredibly grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you just said there about the switch is something that is, Mm. so it's actually something that we've spoken about on the podcast before with um, Megan, I always get them confused, Megan Gray, the psychologist. (laughs) I've got Megan Bray and Megan Gray. Um, (laughs) But one of the earlier episodes on the podcast with um, Megan Gray, the psychologist who specializes in eating disorders, she actually mentioned that kind of trigger as well. Like there's like a switch Mm -hmm. that in some people can just get flicked on, which will then eventuate into an eating disorder when that gets switched on. And it might be a genetic thing. It might be like you mentioned, like an early childhood trauma or like an adolescent Mm -hmm. trauma or something like that, that then just, I guess, predisposes you to an eating disorder. And then something like, you know, going on a diet or doing an eight week challenge or engaging with social media and you know whatever it is it flicks this switch and once it's flicked it's really hard and as you would know really hard to turn that back off and it's really detrimental to your everyday life once that switch has been switched on and I guess as somebody who's worked with a lot of people like yourself where you know people have been through these eight-week challenges one of the things that really concerns me is that we don't know who those people are before they begin the eight-week challenge so whilst Mm. there might be you know 10 other people that were doing the challenge that got really positive healthy eating habits out of it or I mean it sounds like there were some questionable things (laughs) with the challenge itself (laughs) but (laughs) putting that aside like I don't believe that all eight-week challenges are necessarily the worst thing ever Mm. and you know not everybody Mm. who does an eight-week challenge is going to end up with an eating disorder But the thing that we don't know is who is and who isn't and how then can we make sure that we, I guess, are screening or at least I feel like at the very bare minimum, you know, there's a responsibility for, you know, trainers or for um, even like nutritionists and dietitians to be aware of what are the red flags when somebody is doing something like one of these challenges so we can capture it early and before I guess that switch has been fully switched over it's like start to notice those signs so I guess my question for you is what were those sort of I guess early signs for you and did anyone notice them at the gym um so my first early signs was probably the initial one would have been um oh I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep this weight off Um, I got to about March of last year and there was just a day where I had so much food guilt and this is before I had kind of realized that I would develop disordered eating Um, and I just had this random thought in my mind and it was like oh I actually think I have an eating disorder and that was such a deep feeling like it makes you feel so upset and a lot of shame like I I can't believe I did this to myself Um, and yeah I remember telling a friend about it and they were just like no you don't like you're okay it was kind of um fairly invalidating at the time but I was like no I actually think I do and then going to a psychologist and then being told oh you're actually not sick enough that was again really invalidating so invalidating it's like almost like what do I have to do to get worse like yeah no 100% and like I was even told like oh if if you had this or if you had this like this is then you would have an eating disorder but it was just like oh um so yeah but my first um yeah my first I guess um area where I was like yeah I think I have an eating disorder was 
the food guilt and the fear of, oh, I'm going to put this weight back on. Um, And then speaking to some of my friends who didn't really have the same uh, experiences as me, um, then I was like, okay, something actually is wrong here. Mm. Um, And it definitely is something that is not spoken about um, during the challenge or um, at this organisation at all. Um, So you almost kind of feel like – you know, something's, I guess, wrong with me um, because, you know, no one else is feeling this way. And sometimes I feel like with some of those challenges, there's like this um, sort of like hustle culture, like work harder, work harder, Mm -hmm. do more, like achieve more. And again, it comes across as really positive and really inspiring, like, you know, grind, 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 do more. But then it can be, like you said, very invalidating and even shameful if Mm -hmm. you can't meet their expectations that they're putting on you then it's like, well, I'm a bad person because I didn't hit my calories this week or I went over my calories or I didn't do as many workouts as they'd suggested. Did you find that? Yeah. Um, so on this piece of paper um, where you get like all your measurements, um, there is this little, little box and it's like, how many days did you stick to your macros? And then there's a box next to it saying, if you didn't stick to the, your macros, like why? Um, and I think for me, especially, there was this really big fear of, oh, I can never write anything in this box. So it was always just like this really big hustle of stick to your macros, like no matter what, it doesn't matter how many steps you're doing a day, it doesn't matter how many workouts, like you're going to stick to your macros. Macros. Mm. Um, and keep how in hungry mind, you are, was, or tired you are, or yeah. Um, and I was doing about twenty thousand steps in a oh. day as well because um, because of my job, it was very active. Um, so as well as doing five workouts a week. So oh my god, I was just exactly right. So I wasn't feeling my body at all, and no wonder. Like obviously, looking back, I can see it now, but no wonder why I was feeling so fatigued and just so not myself. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, that that low energy is literally like Mm. food is energy. Calories is like the unit of energy. So of course you're feeling low energy. And, you know, when you're burning so much calories as well during workouts and, you know, having a really active job, your needs are obviously higher than the average person's. And I guess what my next question for you then is what perception did that then have on you for like your perception of calories? So I know a lot of people um, when they're introduced to this idea of calories is there's sort of two sides to it. You know, some people can be really inspired by understanding what's in their food. And then other people, I feel like depending on where their knowledge and education came from around it, it can be quite like, uh, like what's the right word here? I'm like tormenting or restricting because it's like, it's got to be the smallest number possible. Yeah. So I definitely had both of those two sides. I remember in the first week, my whole view of food has just changed. Like, I I don't even know how to explain it exactly, but it's just like you only eat food until you're kind of your maintenance calories or you only eat food to your calories. Um, And I even had thoughts of, oh, I don't want to have a birthday party because people are going to eat and I don't want anyone to put on weight or it got to those kind of extremes. Yeah. And now I realize like that is just crazy that I even thought that, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess you're so convinced that this is the way of life. And I was convinced that this is my new way of life. Like I always had to calorie count and, um, you know, watch what I was eating all the time. Yes. A hundred percent. So it's incredibly overwhelming. Um, 
yeah so yeah and I felt that in the first week let alone in week eight so Mm. yeah and does it still impact like for example if you saw how many calories were on a meal or on a snack or something like that does it is there sort of like triggers that would sort of make you think differently or do you feel like you're able to now fully um, accept that, you know, we need calories and that having something that's high calorie is not necessarily a bad thing? Um, Yeah. So we, so my mum has gotten a few times the, um, the you food. So the little, the little meals that you get. Yeah. That comes with calories. Yeah, yeah, they got little. Um, this is quite a while ago, but I used to like cut off the the amount of calories that were on this packaging, so I didn't see it because it was just that toxic for me, and I was relying on the amount of calories that were in the meal, not how much I wanted the meal or what I actually wanted to eat. Um, so and yeah, even now, if I'm eating something that is high calorie, or I find out how many calories are in something that I'm eating, especially at a restaurant or something, um, yeah, it, it's incredibly overwhelming. I get so much uh, food guilt, so it's definitely something I do try and avoid. Um, yeah, anything to do with calorie counting, I do not do at all. Um, I it's a lot of retraining your brain to accept that. I actually need this food. Like I, I need this food to live. I need this food to work out, to socialize with friends, to go about my day. Um, and it takes a lot of work to retrain your brain into thinking that because you're, I guess you for eight weeks, you've gone through this whole mentality of food is just so that, you know, you can only eat your maintenance or you're eating below your maintenance it's so that, you know, you can lose weight. Um, but yeah, so it's a, just a lot of retraining your brain and definitely a lot of work with a psychologist to do that. Yeah. And I think for me, the scary thing is that you can slip down the slippery slope so quickly, like eight weeks in the grand scheme thing is not that much time. And then to mm. climb out, like, as you said, it's been 18 months now since that. So the, the retraining is a lot slower than the initial training. And so this is where, again, like as somebody who is so like passionate about this space, it's Mm -hmm. so much easier to prevent these things from happening or to stop them as early as we can. Because again, as you, as you would know, the clawing out of going back up that slippery slide is a lot of work and it's a lot of energy and it's isolating and it's scary and it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah, 100%. It really does, like, consumes your life. Um, You constantly have, I guess, two brains of I need to eat less or I need this food so that I can, you know, live. And especially when you're going through that recovery stage, those two brains are incredibly present. Um, And it's honestly the littlest moments that that count really. Um, When you think, oh, I'm just going to eat this low-calorie meal because it's low calorie it's like no do I actually want to eat this so it's a lot of uh, really thinking about what you're um, eating or even just thinking I feel like a ham cheese toasty like I'm going to eat a ham cheese toasty kind of thing no matter what is in it or what calories are in it so and especially making your own food is really difficult Um, I know for me a big fear food was oil because it is I guess higher in calories and again that was a lot of retraining and um, a, a lot of, um, you know, this oil makes my food yummy or 
yeah, so I guess a lot of thoughts like that and just continuous reminders every day to myself that um, and giving my permission, myself permission to eat um, and that I will always have food at my own disposal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably one mm-hmm. of the key sort of things in recovery is, well, two things is mm-hmm. like so much self-compassion, like the most you could ever possibly imagine. Like you just need to be kinder to yourself than you would be to any other person in the entire world. Like just overly kind to yourself. And then, yeah, like you said, that, um, I guess, mindfulness of what thoughts you're having and whether they are the thoughts that are aligned with who you want to be as opposed to what the thoughts are just saying. Yeah, 100%. And eventually, like, you do get to the point of, oh, I don't have thoughts like this anymore. Like, I don't have disordered eating thoughts anymore. I'm fine. I can eat, you know, whatever I want or I can eat lower calorie meals. But eventually, like, they do kind of creep into your life even when you do think you're fully recovered from everything. So, um, yeah, I, I every day is um, you just have to constantly remind yourself that it's okay that you can eat anything that you want. Yeah. I have a big question for you. Do you yeah. regret doing the challenge this is something I think about to myself almost every day um I have learned an incredible amount and I'm talking from obviously body body image body dysmorphia diet culture um and I can create like this really I guess balanced meal now that will satisfy me for a, a long period of time um and I have a fairly regular workout structure now uh, which I do enjoy <sighs> it's just it's a really really hard topic you don't um, need to have a specific to answer which we'll just look yeah <laughs> I don't yeah I'm, I'm so much stronger though now like I have learned so much and I do have this passion to I guess teach other people um about like you know what I've been through and to help them I guess recover so yes and no like it's just yeah it it is really hard given the choice it's probably not ideal to to go like if you could gain the skills like which you could Mm, through like learning and education and talking to people and you know experiences with other people if you could gain all of those things because I know now you're it's sort of gone into your profession this is what you're sort of looking at doing is that right yeah, so I'm currently doing a Bachelor of Secondary Education in Extension Maths and Biology, but I hope to do a Master's in Counselling so that I can hopefully um, counsel people who are school students and obviously they will, it's quite prominent in, um, oh God, yeah. you know, school age people, 100%. So um, I would love to share, I guess, some of my experiences with them and help someone. So that is a part I am kind of grateful for. Yeah. And I think with, I guess like all traumatic, you know, experiences and Mm -hmm. everything, there are, I guess, silver linings that we can sort of pick and find. And particularly if it is something that is a traumatic experience, I feel like that's our brain trying to protect ourselves as well. It's like, oh, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't that bad. Like it was, I'll find these, you know, silver linings and everything that make it good. Um, But again, that's Mm -hmm. not to say that, you know, like for example, you said there, if the challenge, you know, gave you a really good, workout routine and got you Mm -hmm. enjoying exercise and everything then there is positives there absolutely um I guess more what I'm saying is yeah how do we how do we notice these red flags earlier for people like yourself because it's just it's just not okay that you know you you're going into something like this for eight weeks and then two years up to two years later it's still having pretty much a daily impact on your health Mm -hmm. and well-being 
Um, so what I would look for if I was to, I guess, do the challenge again, um, not that I would, but what the signs, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really bad, but you know, the signs I would You're look gonna for. You're going to answer my question that I had before. <laughs> but I guess, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> do Sorry, I keep it? going. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, okay. So yeah, red flags I would look for would be, um, well, quite a big red one for me was um, if you're touching your body, I guess, and it you just don't recognize, that's a, a pretty big red flag in itself. If you're having a lot of food guilt throughout the challenge, um, if I had realized, I guess, what this food guilt would, um, that I would still have it today, I would have definitely stopped the challenge, mm. um, like in its tracks, 100%. Um, so yeah, food guilt, um, if it's impacting your life, if you have severe fatigue, uh, I had a lot of negative emotions, like just the outlook that I, I, I saw on things, which I didn't realize at the time, but now I do. Um, that's also a really big red flag. So, um, you know, challenges are, I do know people that they, um, they actually really enjoyed the challenge, but if you are seeing some of these red flags, um, it's definitely something that you have to think about. Is this actually serving me Absolutely. and is this actually going to help me you know um for my education purpose uh, purposes but am I going to be in a better place after this challenge than I was before and that's something that you definitely do have to think about if you are getting some of these red flags yeah Yeah. and I think that's where I guess we and it's all well and good for me to say this but I think it's really important that we value health over the way Mm. that we look because sometimes a lot of these challenges it is all about your like muscularity or your fat loss or leanness or, you know, whatever it is from a physique perspective at yeah. all costs. So like at the expense of your health and well-being. Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, I do wish now that if I had seen these red flags in hindsight that I would have just stopped. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's hard to undo the past as I realized. Yeah, no, no, hindsight. And this is me. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so powerful for people, you know, if they are going into challenges in mm-hmm. the future that, you know, they'll be able to either recognize them in themselves or if, you know, they're trainers yes. that are listening, that they'll be able to mm-hmm. sort of um, articulate them with their clients and their challenge challenges um, so mm-hmm. that they can, I guess, give them that awareness. And the other thing I think that is really important with like challenges like this is, as I said, focusing on health over size and shape, I think is really, really important. I know that's yeah. not something that many challenges do. So I feel like that's an extreme mm. ask of me. But at yeah. the bare minimum, like educating on what are these, like, you know, literally at the outset saying these are red flags. If you start to notice them within yourself, you need to come to us and we'll help you then to essentially stop the challenge and find a way of being healthy and I guess continuing exercising and continuing doing if that's the right option but continuing doing the things in the way that you can that are not contributing to um negative well-being yes 100 percent um I do think that if I guess the culture of this organization was tied into something like that um I think a lot of people would be in a better place now um it definitely does need to be tied into gyms that it does have to have a supportive environment that if you're not feeling okay, that is totally fine, but you do need to speak up about it. Um, it's not always about this whole hustle culture and just get it done. Um, Absolutely. That grind, definitely, grind, grind. Yeah, exactly right. Um, it, it's something that 
a gems do need to kind of break down because it can be quite an anxious space for a lot of people, especially when they are doing a challenge. Um, and when you do a challenge, it's not always habits that you can keep up. Like I was exercising about five times a week, um, almost every week pretty consistently and that is something that I can't even really keep up now just with my every like day-to-day life yeah so yeah uh, yeah and like mm. I maybe when I was like 20 was able to do you know five to six gym sessions mm. a week but now that I'm in my 30s yeah. I'm like there are so many more important things that I need to do than like I can't just take that much time and go and work out for two hours in a day I know right literally yeah I'm like because I'm a really busy person as well with uni and everything I know literally I I, I don't know how that, that's all gonna work out but anyways <laughs> that's like 10-15 years down track me so <laughs> um so Lauren I believe that you have some questions for yes. me around um you know some of your experience and everything so I'd love you to ask me some questions now Beautiful. So um, the first one that often comes to my mind is fear foods and specifically how does someone overcome them? And I guess how to identify a fear food? Because I know myself, I'll watch like a recipe video on Instagram or whatever, and I'll see, oh, it has flour in it. And then I guess I do have a lot of negative thoughts about that. And I'm just wondering if someone is I guess experiencing those same emotions and thoughts, is that actually a fear food or yeah, absolutely. So I think that's one of the things that's like a quite common sign of disordered eating or eating disorders mm. is having like this intense fear of certain foods and in particular, like certain high calorie foods or high carb foods or high fat foods. Typically, it's not like high protein foods. I feel like they get off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, these these foods that we have this intense sort of fear or intense knowing that we will feel guilt if we do eat mm. them. What I suggest doing in these circumstances is actually like sitting down in like at one time and writing down your list of foods, like going through all of the foods that you can think of and writing down the ones that evoke that emotion. So evoke that fear, evoke that anxiety or guilt and actually ordering them into like minor fear, moderate fear, extreme fear. So it's like, oh yeah, if I had that, like it, it you know, I'd feel a bit anxious, but I'd eat it still. And then it's like, mm. oh, I'd feel pretty guilty if I had that. And then there's like the absolutely no way in hell I'm even having that. Like that's it. That's mm. on my banned food list. And so actually <laughs> yeah. writing them down in three columns. And then what I suggest doing is starting with the um, ones with the lowest fear. So they're the ones that are like the least anxiety inducing and starting one by one actually like introducing yourself to these foods and I guess with any fear the way to overcome it is to uh, like attack it and to sort of mm. prove to yourself that these foods are not going to make you gain weight you know eating no it doesn't matter what the food is no food's going to make you gain weight from just having the food um and then thinking about I guess like the mindfulness of that experience of that food like you know what is it that you like about that food? What is it that you don't like? Because what you might find is that, you know, these foods that you have fear of, they might be either your favorite foods or they might just be foods that you feared, but you actually don't even really like that much. Um, and neither is good or bad, but it's about slowly working through that sort of list of foods, starting with the ones that have the least fear and introducing them into your life so that you can prove to yourself that they're not as scary whilst also having so much self-compassion because no doubt there is going to be that voice in your head that says you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have had that. And it's about like what you've already mentioned, that sort of 
being kind to yourself and repeating like those positive affirmations that you even say before, like, you know, I deserve to have this food and I'm allowed to have this food and I want to be able to have this food without guilt and just repeating that over and over again. Yeah, hundred percent. And I do think an eating disorder is quite unique where it's, I guess for me, it was an addiction to dieting. Um, and it's something that you need a lot of exposure to food in order to overcome it, where I guess a lot of addictions are, it's kind of stopping cold turkey or, you know, something similar to that. So I do think of that quite often. Um, And I guess tying that into, I guess, food rules as well. So um, that was a really big thing for me on the challenge. So um, thinking, oh, always relying on the time of day rather than I'm actually hungry, I need to eat. What do you suggest to people to, I guess, break down those those food rules as well? So I, the way I think about nutrition is that obviously I'm a dietitian and I care about my own health and well-being and I care about my own performance and I care about, you know, eating a relatively healthy and balanced diet. So I'm not somebody who would say just eat whatever you want, whenever you want, because for me, that doesn't necessarily align with who I want to be like I want to be somebody who is strong and fit and everything and like like personal example with myself I don't like protein like rich foods it's just I literally Mm. could live off carbs and fats and be (laughs) that would be if I could eat whatever I want whenever I want I'd eat just like protein sorry carbs and fats and never have protein in my diet like I'm exactly the same (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah force myself to eat protein each day and like each day I'm Mm -hmm. like oh my god what am I gonna have for protein today um yeah so I think the way that I approach I guess food rules is that I don't think food rules are necessarily useful I do think having Mm -hmm. values around the way that you want to live and the way that you want to eat is okay and important Mm -hmm. But values are very different to rules. And even that word itself, one is rigid and strict and you are wrong if you are not doing it. Whereas values is like, I'm going to err towards living in alignment with my values, knowing that some of the time I'm not going to live in alignment with my values and that's okay. A hundred percent. And that is honestly the key to recovery, I guess, breaking down all the fear foods, breaking down all the rules and moving towards, you know, food is for enjoyment. It's for socialization. It's for replenishing your own body. Uh, and it's a lot of reminding yourself uh, those things um, that I guess, you know, does lead you towards recovery. Um, another question I do have is, Um, What strategies do you suggest for days where someone may be having a lot of thoughts about restriction um, and dieting and only eating low calorie foods? Yeah. So I think on those days is again, start with self-compassion that, you know, this is part of the journey and it's not a fun part of it, but we all have like bad mental health days and they are awful. Like nobody wants to have them. Nobody looks forward to them. And for somebody (laughs) who has an eating disorder, the mental health day might look different to somebody who has, you know, major depression or uh, generalized Mm. anxiety disorder. So they all look slightly different. It's firstly acknowledging, okay, today's an eating disorder day. Like my, my mind's really in that, um, in the voice of the eating disorder. So what I need to do today is bring extra self-care and extra compassion to myself because that voice is particularly loud today in terms of what to actually eat on those days this is where I would either completely like forget eating, you know, nutritionally or anything like that is 
eat what you actually are feeling like. So if you're sort of like the first thing that comes to your mind, you feel like, okay, what do I want for breakfast? And don't sort of question what comes to your mind or anything like that. Just don't overthink it and just go with the first thing and be confident in, it doesn't matter what you eat. Like it's one day. Um, so even if you didn't eat any protein for one day, like, and that was the day that just got you through, you know, that bad mental health day or that bad eating disorder thought day and be so self-compassionate throughout that and just go, you know what? I feel like ham cheese toasty. That's what I'm having. I'm not thinking twice about it. I'm not overanalyzing how much cheese was in it or how many, you know, grams of butter was on it or whatever it is. It's just, this is what we're doing. Shut up eating disorder. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I do think that that has actually helped me a lot throughout recovery. Um, especially, going to like a restaurant or something and just thinking, okay, what looking on the menu, what do I actually want? I want this. And then just ordering it, I guess for me, it's a a quick process, not much thinking about, and that's just what I want. So I'm going to eat it. So um, it's not a lot of, I guess, debating, like you said, Um, it's just kind of, I'm going to eat this and that's what I want and I'm going to move on and I'm just going to enjoy my day. Exactly. And I think that Uh, the eating disorder wants to debate with you and it's going to try and pull you into that. So you've just got to be like, nah, eating disorder, this is it. We're we're going with this option. And I think one of the Mm -hmm. things to think about in this situation is, um, one of the things I've heard from a lot of my clients who've had eating disorders is that what happens if I, I don't enjoy it? And it's like, well, that's okay. Like, you know, food is disappointing sometimes and it doesn't really matter if, you know, you go out to a restaurant and you order it and you're like, oh, well, that was shit. Like, who cares? Like, there's next time. <laughs> yeah. Mm, 100%. And if you're still hungry, like, you just eat something else. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. And like we are talking um, about now, think of something that was, was key for me is thinking of your eating, this, sorry, <clears throat> thinking of your eating disorder and your thoughts as, something that is not yourself so you have your your healthy self and then you have your thoughts and that those thoughts are not me so you have to kind of always work on yourself and like we said the self-compassion and just think okay I'm getting a lot of thoughts today you know I really need to um focus on my self-love my self-compassion and just eat what I would like yeah um yeah 100% um one thing I like I've mentioned before, is food guilt. I know it's quite a common thing. Um, And even today it is uh, something that I I still do experience and it is probably one of the last things that I guess uh, will be um, like the last thing to leave for me, the last kind of symptom that I have. So how do you suggest someone who is mainly having food guilt of a certain meal or from eating like, for example, the whole of yesterday like I know that when I wake up in the morning sometimes I think oh I'm a little bit bigger today and a lot of food guilt thoughts um come in then so what do you suggest to someone who is experiencing things like that so I think again this is comes back to what we've been talking about the whole time is like it's noticing mm-hmm. the thoughts and noticing that you are not the thoughts so even one of the um really great ways that you can frame this is like I'm having the thought that I should feel guilty about this or I'm having the thought that I feel bigger in my body today and it sort of gives you that like sort of separation between you are the thought and the thought is real because the reality is so many of our thoughts are not true at all and so giving yourself that space and separation that I'm having the thought that I feel bigger or I'm having the thought that I feel uncomfortable in my body today or I'm having the thought that the day yesterday was I ate too much and therefore I feel guilty (laughs) And 
recognizing that space I think journaling is a really really powerful tool here because Mm. it does it literally gives you physical space between what's on your mind and what is I guess true for your healthy self Um, and when I say healthy self I mean like healthy balanced self it's not you know some strict (laughs) regimented person it's it's really the healthy true um the true you and I think journaling there and just writing this down like you know writing down I'm having the thought that blah 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 blah, and my mind is telling me this is this and this but I know this is true and I know that that is diet culture and it's made me believe that or I know these past experiences have led me to believe that but what I'm going to choose today is to listen to the thought and I think journaling this is so powerful but like today I'm going to choose to listen to the healthy self I know that the eating disorder self is going to show up regularly and she's going to be there with me today and maybe for many days in the future but I'm going to instead of you know try and fight this I'm just going to show that eating disorder self so much love and so much compassion and empathize with her and you know just go oh I I feel so sad for you like look how hurt you are and look how Mm -hmm. vulnerable you are and how much pain you're in and how much control you're trying to take and then sort of speak with that healthy self and go today I'm going to look after you by x y and z so whether it be you know go for a walk or call a friend or have a big healthy breakfast or have go out for maccas for breakfast or whatever it is (laughs) like do the thing that um once you've done that journaling do the thing that you feel like is I guess your next step into listening to that healthy self yeah and those those moments I guess are so powerful in recovery um really um I guess thinking of your thoughts and why do I actually feel this way is a lot of is it something that's connected to your past obviously if if it's connected to the challenge it's connected to the challenge but it's all about rewiring those thoughts um into yeah and really thinking about your healthy self or how you used to be maybe that has also really helped me because I know that my previous self was very very healthy so I, I always think um, how did old Lauren used to think, okay, yeah. I need to think like that now. So yeah, that's yep. really helped me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Or yeah. I think if, yeah, if you've got that previous self to refer back to like, and even if it is like yes. a childhood version of yourself, like if it's like, what mm. would six year old me choose to have here? Or like, what would, you know, yeah. it's totally fine to do those things. Um, or then the other option is, I guess, future, future self. So what would, you know, Lauren, who doesn't have any eating disorder symptoms whatsoever, what would she do today? Like what, what would she choose to eat at this meal? Um, if, if she was sitting here beside me and she got to choose what I ate, what would she choose? And sort of running with that. And again, like we've said before, is not overthinking that and trying to challenge it. Just, yep, that's what we're doing. I 100% agree. And for me, I guess it's the past self that I always think about. But again, the future self, it does uh, definitely tie into it. But thinking about... Um, how my thoughts now are a lot about how I was before the challenge. It's really empowering, I guess, does kind of perpetuate you to want to continue to uh, get better and to recover. So that's been a really positive thing for me. Yeah, Amazing. And the irony of that is that you're aspiring to be the version of yourself before the, before yeah, the challenge. Like, you know, it's supposed to be like the, the healthy, you know, change. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah Uh, (laughs) so true yeah I hope we can laugh at the irony of this because the seriousness of it is that like it it is serious Mm. like it's something that is like eating disorders are one of the most um 
like life-threatening mental health conditions there are like above you know major depression and everything they're one of the most um you know the highest mortality rate is the word that i'm looking for of all mental health conditions so it is obviously something like we are talking life and death when we're talking about eating disorders Mm -hmm. being developed from things like this and as much as you know we can sort of look back and sort of be like oh like you know the irony of it it's it's so serious and it's something that yeah I'm so glad that you've been able to share your story with us so that we can I guess shine a bit of a light on potentially some of the dark sides of those types of challenges yeah thank you so much um yeah it's definitely a very very serious um issue and again it's an everyday I guess battle and some days you have really good days and some days you'll have really bad days um but it's all about reaching out to people whether it's a psychologist or your friends and just saying that you know this is how I'm actually feeling because I often say an eating disorder is a I guess blind illness or you know because if you don't tell someone about it no one will actually know um and even my partner now he he says oh I just have absolutely no idea that you actually are feeling these thoughts because I, I can't spot them with my own eyes. But when I tell him about it, he's just really shocked. So I think that that is really key in order to recover from this. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, with any mental health condition, it's, it is speaking about it and it's not being afraid of what people will think of you for voicing what's going on in your head, because that's something, you know, as someone who's experienced depression and anxiety is that's something that I've Mm. always been afraid of is like well people don't want to know what's going on in my head and people like people will be like oh (laughs) why are you thinking about that whereas all I've experienced when I've spoken about my anxiety and depression is like from the and I think the key thing is here is obviously share with your people like you're not going out you know and telling a stranger about you know your mental health or anything like that it's disclosing to the people that you trust so that they can then support you through that and all I've experienced from doing that is nothing but like support and love so I think that the more that people do that then one the more easily they're going to be able to gain help but also the more it helps them to just recover by being able to voice that and know that they're not alone in those thoughts but also that people still love them because they have those thoughts. Yeah, I agree. And reaching out to whether it's a psychologist or a therapist or a dietitian or anything in that kind of realm is totally okay. And if you need that help, that is totally okay. It just goes to show that you want to work towards a healthier version of you. And I think that's really important. That's amazing. And that is just the perfect statement to end on. So thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the podcast. Um, I am so glad that you've been able to tell your story and I'm very grateful for you sharing all of that with us. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
Enjoy the rest of your week and I will catch you guys next week.